Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan. Mailbag. <laughs> okay. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sedone, joined by Zach Blaustein, Chris Nee. We have a special mailbag. Episode. I, I thought Zach was going to do it again. Uh, you only get it so, once. You only he get was it so once. exuberant the first time. No, back! There we go. That's how it's done, gentlemen. That is how it's done. It's been a while. Been a while since we've done a mailbag episode of OTB, but it's the off season. It's a good time to uh, have you guys ask questions about the program, big picture, a new show, whatever we want to get into. It's a variety of topics that the Knowles 24-7 subscribers have thrown into the message board, and we are now answering them here on OTB. Uh, before we get into the mailbag episode, we've been doing a basically a position day. Each day we're going down the position groups and a smattering of recruiting information, of projection of what the roster is going to look like in 2023, of some statistical trends, what's going to look like down the road. It's been fun. It's been informative. We've done quarterback, running back, wide receiver so far, like I said, going down the line. But I want to get your guys' thoughts as we kind of take this in-depth inventory of what's happening now, what's happening down the road. Um, whenever we do these exercises, it can be enlightening and informative. Chris, for you, what have you taken away from the first few days of this exercise? It's refreshing that the roster is talented once again. And it's also refreshing that the recruiting has seen an uptick. If you look at the guys that we're talking about that are pursuing in future classes with quarterback, it was really spin it forward to 25 because they already got their guy in 24. But for the other classes, it's mainly pertaining to 24. And yeah, the options are much better than they were a couple years ago. Zach, for you, you've been focusing a lot on the recruiting aspects of it. That wide receiver board story you did today is a ton of fun, man. Like, there's just a lot of good options that they're currently uh, getting into. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest takeaway is that, you know, quarterback, like Chris said, there just isn't a lot of, uh, there isn't a lot of, you know, uh, names to know for 2024 because they already have Luke Cromanhawk committed. But you turn to the running back board, there's a there's a you know a few uh, prospects that they're you know really in on, and then you move to receiver, and it's just such a deep and talented board, um, a group that you know I think Florida State would be happy of landing you know any of those guys. They already have two committed, um, but they're but they're going big game hunting, like I wrote in the story um, for those additional spots that they're going to use for at the receiver position in the 2024 recruiting class. That tight end recruiting board you're going to do tomorrow is going to look pretty fun, too. Look at Chris yeah. smiling a little bit. I see a rise smile there. Chris Thompson redemption tour. Mm-hmm. My favorite tight end, though, is actually a 25 kid. Who is it? Elias Williams. Mm-hmm. I think of the whole bunch that they've had on campus here in the last couple months. He, he's the most freaky of the bunch. Yeah, Walter, Matthews, Walter Matthews is a fun kid, too, though. Alice Williams goes both ways, right? He's a DN. Uh, yeah, he plays a little DN, but he is a tight end. But he's a 6'7", 230-pound kid who's physically already there and athletically very impressive. Also a good basketball player, which always is a nice piece of transition for a tight end. Usually, it usually plays pretty well at the position. Let's get into the... Mailbag? Damn, Chris is carrying the freaking show today. I love it. Let's get into the mailbag episode here of OTB. Broward Knoll 15 starts us off uh, speaking my language, talking about anxiety, four. <laughs> speaking anxiety and, and nervousness. Uh, knowing that you're the anxious dash, dash nervous one, true. Uh, what are you most nervous about going into the 2023 season? Could be a specific player, position group, or just a general statement. So I will throw out what I'm most nervous about and let you guys pick apart my anxiety. I think it's the way we'll start this one off. I am afraid of... FSU dealing with expectations and really high expectations because the offseason hype train hype train has started and it's it's not slowing down anytime soon. Like this is a team that I think a lot of media members nationally are going to pick as a dark horse contender for this season. Uh, and I'm really curious to see what FSU does with expectations because there are times last year where uh, we know they could handle adversity. We know they can relish in being an underdog role. We've seen that under Mike Norvell, but when pressure was put on them, they didn't always handle that well. And so that's the next step for this program. That being an unknown, it does make me anxious. Yeah, and that train's barreling downhill with no brakes, and it's fine. There's no doubt that the hype train is on the roll. I agree with you, though. That is it. That's the answer. And uh, the truth is, 
you know, we've talked a lot around these parts about response in recent years. I think we've moved on from the response category to how do you handle such expectations? There are guys on this team who have been here for multiple years who were part of something that was really quite poor in the sense of the ability to win games on the football field to talent that was available and whatnot. But I think that's kind of made those guys hard and, you know, they understand what they are doing and what they have to do to find success. Like they understand the sweat equity that has to be given to find success. The key is with the younger guys or the new guys that you insert in that are coming into expectations to understand what it took to get there. I think if all those things come together, they'll be able to handle it. I also think the staff, to their credit, is very good at reading the room, understanding what they have to do to kind of prep guys and mentally prepare them for what's coming and what's next. I think you'll hear plenty of uh, maybe not talking down expectations. I think, truthfully, the staff will lean into expectations. But I think they'll have a nice way of balancing it with, like, we have to meet those. We have to live up to those. That is a great deal of what's expected when you put on the uniform at this university. I was going to use this clip because Chris was was nailing it to maybe make a YouTube clip out of this and FSU dealing with expectations. But I don't think the faces that Zach and I made when he said hard guys uh, is, will make it good for YouTube viewing. I mean, when you're in a middle school locker room with you guys, it's just not always easy to make comments where you can get away with them. Well, that was OK. That was a blatant one. Man. You were like, <laughs> because of the experiences they went through, those guys got really hard. Hard end. <laughs> but yes. Good show. All right. I agree as well. I think that's the biggest talking point heading into the season, right? Um, how does Florida State handle the success of the 2022 season along with the hype going into 2023? Um, I think that's to be determined. If we're talking specific like position stuff that I'd be worried about, um, I think I'm like second on the totem pole as far as worrying and nervousness. Um, maybe Chris can can beat me at some of his OCD stuff. But um, for me, it's Jordan Travis's health. I'm confident, I'm more confident, I should say, in the the backup option and Tate Roadmaker heading into this year than I was last year, obviously. Seeing him perform in the Louisville game, um, you know, worries me a little less, but it's still a worry for me. Um, And Jordan did an awesome job this past year of kind of protecting himself, not putting himself on the line as much. Hopefully the offensive line group is, is playing even better this upcoming season, so it'll prevent even more of that that risk but that's a worry to me right like I, I don't think you you run the table like you have the chance to with with um your backup option uh, that's not to say you can't still have a good year but um that that worries me i mean last year i mean he, yeah i think the only time he missed was that that half against louisville um which is impressive right compared to the, the years before we saw him miss um you know multiple games due to due to injuries so it was a great job by him of staying healthy but yeah, I think that's a key for me. I want to see him continue to be smart and not, you know, putting himself on the line because of just how valuable he is to this team. And then my second thing is is the safety position. Can Florida State get that squared away? Because right now it looks like the one spot on the defense that you can turn to and be like, okay, you have like some solid guys coming back, but do you really have a difference maker back there? Um, and maybe Akeem Den or Shaheen Brown turns into that. Um, through you know offseason conditioning, spring football, and then fall camp. Um, but for me, I think that's going to be the point of emphasis for Florida State in the transfer portal window um, in the month of May when that opens for 15 days. I think we're going to see FSU be kind of aggressive about trying to address that need at the safety position. I find quarterback discussion is fair. Um, I think he did a very good job last year, this past season, yeah. of understanding how to not take as many hits. He, he did a much better job compared year over year of uh, preserving himself and to a degree, you know, the Louisville thing that happened, it happens. It's football, you know, injuries are just sort of, sometimes they just happen. Like there's nothing he could have done in that situation to protect himself. I agree with you on the defensive side of ball. For me, it's more, are they going to take a next step? You know, defense was good, especially from a statistical category last year, but they got to be better at creating or having takeaways. However, they come about. And they just, in general, the chaos factor has to continue to increase. For for this team to take the next step, it's probably more on the defense than the offense, even though I think the offense can be outstanding. If Jordan Travis were to get hurt, like, I don't think that would bother me. Well, okay, let me rephrase the way I'm trying to articulate it. Uh, That's like I, a hot take, like saying Duffy's going to be better be than Jordan fun. Travis in his career. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Chris jumping <laughs> ahead. Uh, Shocker. I, I do not 
all anxiety is worrying about something that you can't control, right? Like that that's what it is by definition. And we can't control anything that FSU football is doing because we're not involved in the process of it. We're just observing it and reporting on it and talking about it. Uh, but what FSU can control is how they handle how adversity, how they handle success, response, things like that. That is something that they do have a level of control over. Injuries, like I, Jordan Travis gets hurt. Jordan Travis gets hurt. And like, we know what he is. He is a top 10 quarterback at this point in college football, potentially better than that. That's me being conservative with, with that statement. If Jordan Travis gets hurt, like, yeah, your, your season recalibrates. So Tate Rodebaker, I think we've learned. I was funny. I was watching, rewatching parts of the Louisville game this morning. He was freaking slinging it in that second half. Uh, it was yeah. better than I remembered it in, in real time. Uh, some of the throws he was, he was making. And I think he can carry you for games on end, potentially, depending on what part of the schedule it is. Uh, but if Jordan Travis goes down, then, yeah, he goes down and that recalibrates your season and what you can be, uh, your threshold, your, your max end of what you could be in terms of ch- championship contention. So uh, if he got hurt, like, that would obviously suck and be awful for what your direction is in 2023. But, like, I don't know, Zach, if he gets hurt, he gets hurt, and there's nothing you can really do about it. I think you are as well-prepared as any team in the country with a capable number two quarterback uh, to, to withstand a couple games, and that's all you can really do to prepare for it. I think a good way of summing up this conversation is I remember being at Louisville in the moment that Jordan got hurt thinking, oh, there goes, you know, what the season. Tate came in, they went. And my opinion of Tate changed a good bit in that moment. Not so much that I think Tate is a great quarterback or that he is a clear-cut number one type of quarterback, but more so in the sense that FSU can win with Tate at quarterback. And Tate has shown the ability to come in and do what needs to be done in a crunch time situation in a game that wasn't really going FSU's way as injuries stacked up on both sides of the ball. So I, I don't know. The the fear factor of Jordan Travis injury 12 months ago versus today is drastically different for me. And that's not to demean what Jordan Travis is. He's the engine that makes the car go for FSU. And he's a huge reason why this program is currently sitting in the position where we're having a conversation such as this. But, you know, I, I'm not – the dread factor is gone for me of if it was to happen. And he proved he can go through an entire season without missing time too, which I think was helpful in terms of alleviating some of that, that anxiety as well. He proved he can do it. So let's move on to NYC null 92. I'll throw this to you, Zach. Will FSU get their 10th commitment of the 24 class before Miami gets there first? I think it's a bit of a troll. Can't tell. Uh, I have no idea what's going on with Miami. I don't know of any, any uh, commitment coming up for Florida state. It's also known that because I'm sure Miami's probably going to get a commit from someone soon, right? They have to, if they're that low on numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean, Florida State's doing fine. I don't know what's going on with Miami. Miami hired a DC the other day uh, who had a great defense at Marshall. But if you want to be a little trolly, go ahead and look at, at who the leaders were atop uh, statistical categories like tackles, sacks, interceptions. A lot of those guys played under or recruited by Adam Fuller. Just saying. Built by Fuller. Mm-hmm. Agent Coke asks, does Luke Cromanhawk finish rated higher than Cam Davis? It's an interesting question because Cam Davis is currently ranked uh, with a 92 grade per 24-7 sports. Luke Cromanhawk, 91. Where it's pretty different is the composite grade with all the industry uh, grades being factored in there. Cam Davis has a 98.5 grade, whereas Luke Cromanhawk at 90. So there's a bit of a discrepancy there uh, can Luke Romanhuck overtake Cam Davis in the rankings as the senior seasons progress I am um, of the opinion no I'm buying it Ooh, shut your really? mouth Chris Zach's got a hot go take Chris, go Chris I want you, you I, say I, I mean I think Luke's phenomenal I think Luke's one of the better quarterbacks in that class I think FSU is well ahead of the market when it comes to Luke and the market's catching up but Cam's a freak um, Cam is one of the better backs that we've covered in the last several years of recruiting coverage uh like i think his ranking being a 92 is a travesty to be honest but i think luke is also going to trend up i just think cam yeah. from an industry standpoint is going to end up higher yeah well i i mean they the grades don't matter as much right now because the grades they, they increase over like as the year goes on and he'll be if he's ranked where he is right now at the end of the year he'll be like a 97 or a 96 or something but, like that but yeah, I don't want to go off on a tangent of recruiting industry stuff, 
but like that's stupid to me. Like if Cam is a 97 today, he should be a 97 today. Like I, agree. I know you're not saying that, Zach. I'm not yeah. yelling at you, buddy. I love you. But like, you know, they are what they are. Like it's not one of these, oh, we're gonna trend them up just because we're gonna trend everybody up. No, like if a dude should be a 97 out of the gate, he should be a 97 out of the gate. Like it, that's foolish. That that's overthinking the process. If a cat is really good, like a no doubt high end prospect stand on your feet and say that's what that guy is and do it from well, the get-go don't do well, it in a slow trend conversely like if someone was really good as a sophomore and they're not developing the way you thought they would be like it's fine to drop them 100 yeah. slots it does happen it does happen but i think we do the slow burn of like moving them down incrementally it's like no we are evaluating this living breathing organism that's just always changing and evolving because the sport's changing and you're trying to gauge what a I mean, the rankings that we do are based on projections of NFL draft, ultimately. Yeah. And trying not, to project not, what a 15 yeah. or 16 year old is going to turn into in six years is really, really difficult. So, yeah. yeah I remember hearing and, a point. I think Josh Pate said it. I mean, look at the NFL draft. You have these uh, pro scouts that are banking or like banking on these college athletes being dudes in the NFL and they miss all the time. Well, now think about these these people that are evaluating high school prospects they're doing it without any information about how they're going to be in college they're doing it as they're 15 16 17 years old like it's a hard it's a hard deal uh, but yeah i agree i think uh i think that if someone's like if you know someone's a dude then why not just rank them there but i also get the argument of like you don't want to drop a kid um if he doesn't pan out how you thought he would right like if you know if you think one kid's 510 then all of a sudden, you know, you're projecting him to grow to like six foot one and he stays at that height forever. Like, you know, maybe that impacts things. So I don't know. I think uh, I don't I'm not one to like get into like rank, ranking semantics and stuff. But yeah, I think uh, I think Cam Davis is a dude. But moving it back to the argument, I think that Luke Kermanhawk is one of the most intriguing quarterback prospects in this cycle because I feel like his potential is just out of this world right like he's been playing he's been starting at quarterback for a year at the high school level and he had an awesome year i mean we watched the tape and he broke it down and just getting to talk with that kid was i mean he's so impressive um and and i think i think as this year rolls on and he's able to you know kind of hone in on the position even more um i mean the quarterback position is is years more valuable than um running backs in in today's football they just are um and i think cam davis is probably a top two or three running back in this cycle and that might not be enough i think luke kermanhawk could be like a top five quarterback which would probably vault him in front of from cam davis in the rankings that's just how how they usually rank guys yeah the one other thing i would add is on kermanhawk he's wired right right way like that's the thing that probably most impressively stands out the physical skills are good the throwing ability is there very high ceiling prospect as far as physical attributes, but he is wired entirely the way you want the quarterback to be wired, the way he approaches the game, the way he thinks about the game, the way he is as a teammate and just the way he is as a person are all very, very good qualities. And I think the staff at FSU beyond the physical stuff, absolutely love that from him from the word go. And that's the reason they were kind of all in before he was a proven commodity on a football field. If you want a first-hand account of that, go watch the YouTube live stream we did with Luke Kermanhawk, the official visit. It's on our YouTube channel. Just an awesome, awesome show. One of the best things, you know, on video that I've ever been a part of. Um, Luke was beyond impressive, um, and, you know, he was breaking down his film. Dude was literally, like, recounting everything. He, he'd know exactly what game it was, what stage of the playoffs they were in, um, what uh, stage of the game they were in. Like, he'd be like, oh, this is coming straight off a touchdown. Oh, this is coming straight out of the half. Like it was beyond impressive. And that that's, you know, without even touching about the specific plays and him knowing, you know, just, you know, what everyone was doing on the field and just where to put the football. He's, he's, he's a really impressive dude. I guess you could say he checks all the boxes. Sure. It is a fun conversation to have because we're debating on who's going to be ranked higher and both are expected to be high end blue chip guys. And both are committed to Florida state, the Kermanhawk and Cam Davis. And, to take us back to the beginning of the podcast when Chris said it was refreshing to talk about this program. I think that this conversation, that question exemplifies why. 
things things are going in a good direction for FSU. Moving on to touchdown FSU with FSU spelled differently. Buckle up, Chris. Here we go. You're gonna take your take your licks here. Around a year ago, I asked who would have the best career at FSU: J. Trav, Duffy, or Parson. Zach, Brendan, spelled incorrectly, and Berg selected J. Trav. Good job with me selecting Duffy. Chris, how are you feeling? And then time to ask again: Who will have the best career at FSU? Tate, Duffy, Glenn, or Crum and Hoke? I don't feel very good about that take. I don't honestly remember <laughs> it. Um, to be perfectly honest, I, if I had a pitcher of water in front of me right now, I'd probably spill it and run away. I remember you saying um, Parson. That's weird. I don't remember saying Parson. <laughs> I'm also a little surprised I said Duffy. Maybe my opinion at that time hadn't changed as it has. Um, so yeah, bad hot take. I'll own that one. It wasn't. A, did, it was say. not a hot take at the time. Listen. I was 100% right on Jordan Travis, and we should all congratulate me for being amazing at that evaluation. However, we were evaluating all these things in real time, and at that time, Chris was banking on a top 100 quarterback recruit having the best group. I don't think that's a crazy hot take for you to, to think that. We get more information as long as we're willing to adapt and evolve as we get more information, which Chris has. Zach, don't make fun of my uh, Italian hands flying all over the place right now. It's messed up. Uh, as long as we're willing to move off of what we thought before and acknowledge that we've we changed our opinion with more information. That, that's the name of the game, guys. So, Chris, don't feel bad about it. But that being said, answer the next part of the question so we can remember if you were wrong. Who were they? From Duffy, now. Glenn, Crum and Hawk, who was, was Tate in there? And Tate. I don't know. I mean, I, and that's not me getting skittish because I obviously was wrong last time, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's nice to have options. I think Glenn's a guy that system-wise very much fits what they want to be. You got to pick uh, one, Chris. We spoke on Tate earlier. I I, I would bank on Cromenhawk. Like, I think he's a dude that, yeah, he's got a lot to him. And he's also going to be presumably surrounded by very good talent and a program that's going to be fairly well established. There's positives about that for a quarterback. I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess I'd go Chrome and Hawk out of those four, but like, I don't think there's anybody that's distanced themselves from that group, nor anybody that I think's completely fallen out of contention. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I think Chrome and Hawk makes the most sense. I think long term projection wise, he has the highest upside of out of anyone in that group. Um, I'm really interested interested to see what Brockland does this year. Does he vault him, himself into the number three spot ahead of Duffy? Does he stay at number four? Um, you know, that's something I'm really interested to see in spring ball. Is he is he a guy that's is impressing us? Is he a guy that's making the right decisions? Someone that looks ahead of their uh, years as a true freshman coming in as an early enrollee. Um, I'm going to post a clip on Twitter today of, of Brock Lynn absolutely routing up uh, some of FSU's other early enrollees, Hakeem Williams, Dre Jacobs, and Quindarius Jones. They were just working out, I guess, inside the IPF, and he recorded some, or someone recorded some videos of him running as a receiver. And man, he's impressive. Um, he's he's got some I, moves. I love putting that at water receiver day for us. Yeah. I think that's that's funny. I um, am interested in Duffy this year with regards to having pressure on both sides because last year he didn't really have the pressure. You know, it was Jordan, and then it was Tate. That was pretty clear cut from the word go. Now he's got a guy behind him trying to take his spot. You know, and obviously Jordan's entering the final year of his time here and things are going to be a little bit more wide open in 12 months. So I'm very interested if we see a not different version of Duffy, but a different approach day to day. Um, I, I think I've said it on here before. The thing with Duffy last year, I just don't know that he maximized the time of his first year. It's such a learning year. and Maybe he did, but I didn't come away from practices thinking, man, he's working towards something in a really positive manner. And I yeah, we'll see. I know. I, I think Chris's point is a good one because beating around the bush here, like, I, well, I, we have been beating around the bush now going straight through the bush could show. I think that AJ Duffy did not wow any of us as a true freshman from the practice and the availability that we have to see it and talking to people within the he program. Moments. He did it, but the moments to they me were not consistent. Yeah. But, oh, well, no. he, but, but even the moments were, were more so in the beginning of the year than towards like, it wasn't like moments sprinkled in throughout the entire season. It you know didn't I mean? feel like a and, – and it's not linear, as we love to say, but it didn't feel like the progression was consistently noticeable. There'd mm -hmm. be moments later in the year with good moments and practices, but there'd also be pretty dreadfully bad practices at times. 
or just ineffective um, ones. It, yeah. And we all like the nuance of this is like, I think we all understand that he was a true freshman and he's allowed yeah. to get better. And there could be a huge stride in jumps made, which is why I think the emergence or the addition, excuse me, of someone like Brocklin to Chris's earlier point is so interesting, right? Because that's going to, to add competition to AJ Duffy to where yeah. he can't be complacent. We'll see how he responds to it. That'll be an important uh, part of it. There's his. ability there too. Like there are moments Duffy makes throws where you go, wow, like he's got some stuff to him, moving to his right, laying it over the top, putting it on the sideline, putting it in a tight window. There were capable abilities with the kid without a shadow of a doubt. It's just a matter of you kind of just want to see it go. And I, I think I'll be perfectly honest here. I expect quarterbacks to be wired a certain way usually pretty serious, pretty motivated, pretty high octane. I don't think Duffy's wired that way. And you're allowed to not be wired that way and be successful. It's just I think he's a departure of what I'm used to and obviously kind of a departure from like the personality of like a Jordan Travis, for example, who's a little bit more serious, or Tate, who seems to be a little bit more uh, hyper-focused at times. AJ's a little bit more, I guess, fun-loving maybe could be a way to describe it. So we'll see. You know, you can it's going to count multiple different ways, so we'll see what he does. I think it'll be interesting to watch his evolution this spring. That's, that's probably up there in the storylines of, of things we'll be looking for next month when it gets going in early March. NRG Noel asks, what unit improved the most and the least from last year? Uh, we have to use capitalized words, he says. So I think he means this offseason, based on additions, who has improved, what unit has improved the most and the least. Um, does anyone have anything in mind right away or do I need to stall or do you want me to just, I mean, most to me would be tight end. You've got two pretty well-defined talents in there, including one who was a high end sec player who, despite Dane Draper's beliefs is <laughs> one of the better additions. Um, the least, I, I guess it would have to be safety because there is still a void there. Um, what, that, what you at lose, least that's what comes to yeah. mind to me. I'm with you, Chris. I, I know it's not good radio to have the same opinion, but yeah, with what you lose at safety, uh, and what you have coming back could be good, but it's going to be hard to replace Jamie Robinson. And I don't know if I get the warm and fuzzies about the overall like depth that safety either. Uh, I think Shaheen Brown and Akeem Dent would be serviceable throughout a season, right? Like, I don't think that's a weakness for you, but I, I do get worried about what you do from there, uh, depending on if someone moves positions or anything like that. But I, I, from a position standpoint, going back to source of anxiety, that's probably the one that gives me the most, unknowns uh zach it's also, it's also a position with a ton of collisions and high probability of injuries at some point as we saw this death. past year yeah i think i'm going different for most improved i think the tight end position is important um in mike norvell's offense but i don't think it's the most important by any stretch of the imagination if you move to the defensive side of the ball i think defensive tackle um that room is so deep and so talented um i think it's Beyond impressive. I mean, you look at the starting guys they're going to bring back, Braden Fisk, Fabian Lovett. Um, you lose Robert Cooper, obviously, but then you bring in a guy like Daryl Jackson who can be a nose tackle for you. Um, is absolutely massive and has an NFL frame. And then the depth behind those guys is just is also really impressive and guys that they can really count on. I mean, Josh Farmer played a ton of snaps for them this year, and he's probably not going to be, you know, within their top three. I mean, he's probably their fourth best option. Um, which is super impressive. Then you have got a veteran like Malcolm Ray, um, the youngsters like, you know, Daniel Lyons, Io Tafasi, and then, um, and, you know, I'm missing some others as well, uh, Bishop Thomas. So I think that um, that group is much is going to be much improved for FSU this season. And I think a lot of that has to do with the depth. Um, we know FSU likes to play a lot of defensive linemen, and they're going to have a lot of guys they can count on heading into this season. Um, and then, yeah, I agree. I agree with you guys that I think safety is the, the most jarring um, um, position that needs to be improved. You know, I talked about this before, but needs to be uh, further improved upon, um, hopefully through the transfer portal window in May. I, I have a thought on defense tackle real quick, and it's kind of taking us off the path a little bit. But when we talk about FSU's defense and this, this popular narrative about what they did or didn't do against top competition and collectively, like just what the defensive line was, this past year. And there were times where it was really frustrating to watch the defensive line give more than you'd expect, given what the expectations were at the start of the year. With, First drive, uh, second half, NC State. That's a, a really good example. And you can probably pick four or five more drives that just felt so frustrating. 
but as like the off season has progressed and we kind of get this gift of hindsight, like I do think it's fair to add this caveat, like what the defensive line, especially the defensive tackles were versus what they were expected to be. Fabian Lovett played what? 250 snaps, 300 yeah. snaps in seven games. And they won all of them. The splits on him are, I'll do something on that uh, next week, but the splits on him are, are fun when he's in the game versus when he isn't. And again, context nuance, like, they played some pretty bad offenses in that span. They played some good ones too. Um, so yes, Robert Cooper, he's had a procedure on his shoulder this offseason to clean up because he was dealing with it during the season. Malcolm Ray, I believe, similar case. His shoulder was a mess during the season. Yeah, he Jared, played with one arm basically after Louisville. Jarrett Jackson uh, watches 2021 tape versus his 2022 and tell me that was – the same player, like it, very different. So your your top four guys were all banged up and injured throughout the year and playing through injuries or missing time through injuries. So we can say all oh, the defensive tackle depth didn't look great at times last year, but like, I mean, it'd be, it'd be something if one or two guys were out or not 100%. When you're talking about your two deep gets annihilated in the very beginning of the season, the first two or three games, like, yeah, that, that changes – the complexion of your defense. So I just think that's worth mentioning as we look at what it's going to be in the future. I love that this coaching staff does not get fooled twice, typically. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, Adam Fuller almost was exasperated at times talking about having to shove Josh Farmer out there when they had to because they had to because they were short on bodies. Josh Farmer was a 240-pound defensive end three years ago. Yeah, and, and you know, he struggled first game out, little steps after that, and then had moments where he got better and better. But they would talk about that. They're fairly clear and honest about situations and where things stand. They're not excuse makers, but they are fairly straightforward and transparent. I think to Zach's point, they're in a much better spot where if that does happen again with a stack of injuries, they've got more experienced depth, brought in some really good key pieces. They're They're made to weather the storm. Yep. Yeah, they don't get fooled twice. They say we will not be caught in that position again. So you bring back Fabian Lovett. You add Braden Fisk, Daryl Jackson added, and then the other guys that Zach mentioned as depth pieces all a year older with more experience in the strength program that's proven to to work very well. Like, yes, that, that you have to feel better about it. But anyways, that was an aside I think was worth talking about. Uh, let's get into mailbag again. Knowles, 1981. Who are the starting five office linemen in 2023? I think this is... Uh, a talking point that we will have throughout the off season. Cause it's going to be a lot so, of fun starting in the spring of all the combinations they have. I'll start Robert Scott at a tackle spot. If he's healthy. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Who would you have at a guard spot starting? Oh, well, can I go to the other tackle spot? Go ahead. I think, I think, I think Jeremiah Byers will be there somewhere, whether there's a guard or tackle. I, agree, yeah. I think we were doing this exercise on uh, the X's and Knowles show the other day, and they'll be out later this week. And I completely admitted him as a guaranteed starter. I think he is the guy I'd say is going to start 100% no matter what. So Byers at right tackle, I'll throw that out there for now. Okay. So does Bless Harris move to a guard spot, or does Bless Harris become a swing lineman? I think ideally a swing lineman. But let, let's let's keep it moving on what we think would start at guard i mean Meech. Dimitri uh, manual is expected back right now but that's not a hundred percent guarantee i think you'd have a hard time benching an all acc right guard who got better as the year went on right yeah yeah i think he's gonna be a starting guard the other spot i think is casey roddick at left guard yeah and then center you would have marie still yes okay but we know roddick's going to get work at center so can I just think that Smith, not that I'm rooting for Smith to lose his job because he proved us all wrong last year and went and kept that thing, even though Kane got hurt. But to his credit, like he he earned the right to play that spot. It, it's interesting. The best part of this discussion is that they have a hell of a lot of good options, and some of them are actually the right body types for the spots they want to be put at. You know, so that's a very, very good thing. That's probably the best thing. A guy like Keandre Jones, we spoke about this a lot in the transfer portal episode. You know, we believe he came in to help them in short yardage yardage situation, something that Brendan wrote about yesterday about their success and failure rate in regards to that. And we think a guy like Keandre Jones and another guy like Casey Roddick, both very large human beings, were brought in in part to help give them that interior push necessary in those type of situations. So with the idea of, of power 
success rate in running in those in those key areas. I think the numbers that we found yesterday in digging through it a little bit was average, adequate, maybe above average, but not great. But compared to what you were doing the rest of the, the time in the run game, it was not championship caliber. Uh, could Murray Smith be a guy who is a people mover for you? He was good in pass pro this year. He did not allow a sack. He was very consistent overall, was, was not overwhelmed like he was at times in 2021. But he's not a a mauler moving defenders off the point of attack without help type of guy. You can need to evolve into that. We'll see if his frame uh, allows that to, uh, but he has progressed. That's where I, I kind of push back a little bit with Zach's thinking that it'll be Marie Smith for sure at center. I think Casey Roddick gets snaps at center this off season to see if you can put a 310 pounder at center, because if FSU wants to, as we talked about with defensive tackle, having the bodies to weather the storm for a championship run to have guys who can hold up against SEC caliber linemen, the other side of the ball on the offensive line, do you have the the bulk, the girth, the power to move a Georgia defensive tackle or to go ahead and get tough yards against Clemson in the ACC championship game? And I, I think that's what we'll see in this spring is them experiment with Casey Roddick to see if he can – learn the offense at center if he can snap the ball consistently is snapping important to you and if he can push Marie Smith to further elevate his game I, I guess I think 55 to 60 percent it'll be Marie Smith but I'm not sold on it like I think there's yeah, a decent I, chance to be erotic I agree with that I think the one thing for Marie Smith that I love so much is that he already has that like built-in chemistry with Jordan Travis like they don't really have a lot of issues with snapping at all um and you know that's you know that's apart from you know whatever uh Marie Smith is doing after snapping the ball, right? Like I, like I agree. Like maybe a bigger body, the guy that's a, a better, um, you know, just blocker in general uh, could be beneficial. But I think that's an underrated aspect of that connection is just how comfortable Jordan Travis is um, receiving snaps from from Maurice. Some of the additional depth we were talking about, Jalen Early, a guy we know the staff is high on, will be a second year guy. Same with Julian Armella coming off of a, I think, procedure on one of his feet or ankles helping him get cleaned up with regards to that. Darius Washington, who should have the healthiest offseason he's had in his FSU career, should definitely help him. Guy who's played a lot of snaps, a lot of different positions. If he does end up being your swing type, he's super reliable swing type. So, yeah, the depth at the position is just so much better than it's been in a long time. Darius is like end of the season was really good just based on the PFF stuff. I think he was 65. Yeah, yep, and that was at left tackle, and I think the coaching staff – I mean, he didn't play left tackle after that, but Wake Forest threw the wide nine at them. And I think the coaching staff, by their own admission, did not help him out enough and adjust quickly enough in that moment. And, and a player who was coming off an injury got exposed. But uh, this program is built on response, right? And I think Darius Washington's a good example of that. So someone who can help you out, and we mentioned at the top of this, Plus Harris, right? He's someone who was a starting right tackle before he got hurt in the season opener. And how does he figure into it. And he was someone who was going to be like a multi-year project you thought, and he was a little bit ahead of the curve, but he's got the size, the frame requisite athleticism to be a decent player at the power five level. So how many guys have we talked about like 10 that we feel decent yeah. about to some extent. And then Bryson Estes is someone that I think could knock on the door and just keep being a gradual progression type. Um, yeah, this is, yeah. this is a fun group and it's, it, not knowing who the starting five is going to be this year is a good problem to have, I think. You have actual real tackle options, too. It's not you're moving. This guy's a really good guard. He can live at tackle. You're not doing that anymore. You actually have real tackles. Armella, Early, Byers, Scott, all are legitimate tackle type bodies. And obviously, Lucas Simmons, Simmons down the play, he's waiting in the wings. Oh God, imagine if Lucas Simmons could play this year. No, I'm not going to put that out there. That's a lot to put on a guy. But. Thank God he doesn't have to, though. Like, that's that's the proof in the pudding of the O-line has taken a massive step forward. We're no longer throwing a guy in a fire well before he needs to be thrown into said fire. It can actually develop. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about it before, but, like, the injuries that Robert Scott, Darius Washington, Marie Smith have had to deal with early in their careers is, is in a large part because of how they had to play early on in the years, how much they had to play. And before they were not physically prepared as an 18, 19 year old offensive lineman, unless you're Caden Proctor freaky ish to deal with that. And you get the hell beat out of you. And if you get hurt, you're always kind of digging yourself out of the hole that comes with the injury. Robert Scott's a prime example of that. Robert Scott to his credit battled through 
tons last year play, and he was not really healthy, I don't think, vast majority of the season, if at any point, actually. Uh, just watch him try to move in space. It was amazing he was able to do what he could do. Just, I think that's a testament to how smart and how good of a reaction skills he has. Um, hey, look at this. I'm pulling out the mailbag, and I just got oh, a right? special a special section of buyers to known questions. But it's brought to you I'm by talking, the Turner Group. Damn it, you're, you ruined my joke. Brought to you by the Turner Group. Uh, you could contact. Amy and Colin Turner. So Chris got me thrown off my game. Sorry, Colin. You can contact Amy and Colin Turner at the Turner Group if you're looking to buy or sell your home in the state of Florida. They're located in the Winter Park area of Central Florida, and that's where their their hub is. But they can help you throughout the state. They're under their Keller Williams umbrella, and with that in mind, they're able to help you, anyone in the state, out, make connections, help guide you in the right direction. Really helpful tool and resource if you're looking to embark on this often a complicated process of buying or selling a home. If you're interested in getting some help in that, highly recommend Colin Turner. You can reach him at 407-403-8546. Email him at getstartedattheturnergroup.com. Mention that On The Bench sent you. They've already had a little bit of business from us. Let's keep keep on keeping on. I know it's a process and you have to trust someone uh, to buy or sell your home. Uh, Colin is extremely trustworthy and has been a ton of fun to work with thus far. Really appreciate having him as part of our on the bench team. Let's get into by Orson Own. Starting off with data science null. By Orson Own. At the end of the season, the fan base will stop obsessing over the happenings at UF and Miami. Sinone. Sinone. I've done this for 20 years. It's been true for 20 years. Um it's what it's what comes with a rivalry, though. That's a big Sinone. And by Presenting the buyers to know about people obsessing about UF and Miami. Data science know you too were obsessing about UF and Miami. So just consider your role in all this. Yes. Think about what you've done. <laughs> uh, Lyric, Ly, okay, he's told me I've been pronouncing his name incorrectly. It's L in the name, not an I. So it's Larica14, I think. I'm sure I nailed that. Buyers to know FSU continues success in the post J Trev era with no significant dip in production. Uh, I'm going to Sinone it and significant. Like, I think there will be a step back in 2024 to an extent. I'm already kind of preparing for it. So, unless it's my NCAA dynasty, in that case, you win a national title in 2024. It's a Rodemaker. But I do think there'll be a little bit of a step back because Jay Traff's so dynamic. And really, what you're building towards then is, is 2025 with the Luke Romanock era in theory. Like, I think that would be the best case scenario is him as a redshirt freshman being a special talent. Um, but I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on that. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I agree with you, Brendan. Um, I think Thank that's you. probably a down year just because you're replacing such a dynamic talent at quarterback. You know, who knows, though, right? We've seen the transfer portal work wonders here and across the country. Um, and if Florida State can bring in a, another dynamic quarterback through the portal um, to kind of have a, you know that stopgap for maybe a year before Luke Kerman Hawk can develop into your guy, um, I think that would be um, interesting, but we'll see. Uh, there, you know, Jordan Travis isn't the only guy that's that's going to uh, leave after this year, especially if they have a really good year. Um, they'll probably, you know, lose a ton of their production. Um, I would I would guess just based on how many guys came back. I think the common sense answer is yes, but I'm going to Sonona it to a slight degree because I think evolution is a real thing in a football program, especially with Mike Norvell guiding it. Jordan's immensely important and is a massive reason why this thing has all turned around and turned into what it's turned into. But I think he's also set it up for success after his departure. And I think there's a head coach who's going to have a lot of talent at his disposal to do what has to be done in order to win football games. And I, I think it's got to be 12 months ahead from now when we're talking about next offseason. I think it's going to be really enjoyable to watch how they do do things after some massively important key pieces leave, you know, presuming he leaves, Trey Benson leaves, Johnny Wilson leaves. Those are all massively important pieces of the offensive success. You're going to lose several offensive linemen and a lot of people on defense. FSU is built for 23 to beat a year, but I don't think they're going to fall off the cliff in 24 either. I think they've kind of done a good job of positioning themselves to have long-term success. And it's going to be awesome to watch what they do do next. But uh, yeah. Hey, quarter do do. Quarterbacks are important, so so uh, let's not forget that. But, but it, it will be 
it's going to be cool to watch. Like I, I, I think Mike Norvell is a very good football coach. I think we all think that on this podcast. Um, Don't speak. It's going to be cool to see what he does with the next guy because you know, as much as Jordan and him have each found success because of the other, I think they're both built for success without each other too. That's beautiful. Data Science Snow presents us with another buyer, Sinone. Micah Pittman, talking about his NIL earnings on YouTube, will cause issues with either other teammates or the parties who are paying him. Zach, I will throw this to you. Hasn't he already been doing that for like over I think he, he made a video specifically about it, but yeah, I don't think it's anything new. Oh, I, don't, I haven't watched that, but um, I mean, he's been doing like brand deals and stuff on Twitter and TikTok for like, years so i or since nil became a thing so no i don't think that's an issue i mean yeah i mean no i mean the, the, <laughs> I, like i don't know how to put it like the collective like uh invested into this roster um as far as retention goes so a lot of these guys are making their own money so you know i don't think that's going to be an issue it, and i'm selling interested. it um synoning it sorry not selling it synoning it i i just I think FSU's culture is built to circumvent such issues. I don't think it's a big deal here. I, I do think there's going to be an element of – I know there's an element of pocket watching going on among the roster. Like guys are aware of what other players are making. And I think that that's human nature to kind of try to judge where you fit into things based on – Are you being valued? Value. Yeah. yeah, are you being – I do think that's just a natural but thing that all of us ask. Wouldn't you agree at the same time that exists in a window and it goes away it, as football it, played? I think the, the way the question is asked, like whether it causes issues, like could it be problematic to an extent? Is it going to derail your locker room? No, I don't think so, so I would denote it. So, yeah, I think once you get into certain portions of the season, especially if you win, it doesn't really matter. If you start losing, then, yeah, like everything comes to the surface. And that's – so – Will it cause problems? No, I'm Sinoni. I don't think it'll cause problems. If you lose, then it can maybe cause issues, but that's because you're losing. Like, it's not going to be the catalyst for some kind of revolt or or something like that. And he's earning his own money. Like, Micah Pittman has built a brand. And so he, yeah. this is capitalism. This is the free market. Like, you're getting valued how people think you are valued, and you're getting compensated for that. So that that is what it is. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be jealous of him in that regard. Uh, Deheezy asks, by Orsonone, FSU will not have a thousand yard rusher and or thousand yard receiver next season because there's so many weapons that will have to get the ball next year and the potential for multiple blowout games. So in game reps might be limited. It's a mouthful. It's an and or for the two. And or, let's, I, yeah, I mean, I think that let's say if it's or, it's a sell for me, that's a known because they're going to have a thousand yard rusher if he stays healthy. Thousand yard receiver, I, I think there's a good possibility of that close, and i feel like <laughs> chris it would be funny if i thought of it a second earlier too the timing was bad there that's my fault because <laughs> i home's gonna have a thousand yards receiving you heard it <laughs> um thousand yards throwing wildcat all the time baby i agree with chris best home since priest <laughs> That's a that's a throwback. I was trying to think of old Kansas City Chief players the other day because he played at the Super Bowl and he was one of them. He had a moment, a moment in time. Remember Derek Elvis Alexander, Garback? right? He was a chief. He was yeah, Elvis Garback. Yep. Yeah. Oh man, good times, good times. Um, who was the who was the kick returner for them that was really good? The Human Joystick. Derek Hall. Does that sound right? I don't know. Kansas City it's really good podcasting. kickoff return. We might cut this whole part out, let's be honest. No, Dante here. Hall. It was Dante Hall. He was, he okay. was freaking it. He has 8,600 career kickoff return yards. <laughs> it's absurd. Um, okay, so back to the question. Will FSU not have a 1,000-yard rusher and or – I'm going to just lump it in and say both. I, I think they'll have a 1,000 yard of, of each. I think the offense will be pretty prolific. I understand where Deheezy is coming from and that you need to spread the ball around and you would hope you have a lot of blowouts, right? So you, you may not have that. But Johnny Wilson was at, what, 900 or so receiving yards this past year. Trey Benson was 10 off of that. I just think the, the progression and the evolution is that your numbers get better over time. Trey Benson also had 
a season in which he wasn't the featured back for about half of it. So his his rep count should be up in theory throughout the season. Johnny Wilson had some injuries at different points. It kind of limited his progress and defenses had to spend so much attention on him once he got going that that kind of eliminated the use of like his usage for a stretch of, of time during the middle to end part of the season um, with more talent around him. In theory, that should mean more one-on-ones and, and more opportunities to get the ball advantageously to, to your best player. So I, I'm going to Sonona. I think they will have a thousand yard receiver and a thousand yard rusher just by the natural progression of those guys getting better. Johnny's also a guy that truthfully can just get a lot better. Like I, I know he was really good last year and he was the best receiver, but just catch Johnny, the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. The kid's talent level, he has not yet met it and he can get better. I think he intends to get better. I think that's a massive reason he's back. That's a good point, Chris. PR Null 86 asks, by or Sinone, Winston Wright will be healthy enough to get back to old form and be wide receiver one. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think, like deconstruct the way we want to talk about this because I don't want to buy or Sinone someone's health necessarily. I do think well, that I think we should just buy or Sinone whether he can get back to being receiver one. Okay. That's With a this way. group, I'd Sinone it. Yeah, because of Johnny. But I think Winston's going to be a very good piece of the puzzle. I think he's super motivated to get back. I mean, he was chomping at the bit to do it last year, but it just didn't happen. Like, Shouldn't I, have happened either. Yeah. Well, I think towards the end of the year, like he started to get into like actual like being able to play. Like he was, like he was doing a lot more um, than we yeah, had ever cutting. Seen. Yeah, little bump contact stuff like that. Like that that stuff's important. I think you know this. I mean, he's been working from what I've heard, like well in the off-season conditioning stuff, and I think spring ball is going to be vitally important for him. Um, his first, you know, spring football at, at Florida State. Um, you know, we'll see kind of how he um, looks out there. But yeah, I don't think he's a receiver one for FSU just because of the development of Johnny Wilson um, and then some of the other pieces in that room. Um, but he's a guy that can definitely help Florida State this upcoming season, um, and hopefully. You know, I would love for him to get back to his 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 old state, man. Like he was such a dynamic weapon, um, both as a receiver and as a returner uh, at West Virginia. And if he could turn into, you know, ninety five percent of that, ninety percent of that, that would be huge for FSU this this season. I think it's fair to note how actions uh, indicate how FSU feels about him in terms of what he could become, and the fact that they lost Pokey Wilson as their burner wide receiver to eligibility. And then Malik McLean, who is a good wide receiver for them to Penn state in the transfer portal. The fact that they haven't really sought after anyone in a pretty like good robust wide receiver market in the transfer portal. The fact that they haven't gone after that, I think is one indication of what they have coming back and feeling good about someone like Darren Williamson and, uh, Kentron Potier and uh, bringing in Hiking Williams. like They feel good about that, but I think they also feel good about Winston Wright. And this is a team that's clearly all in on winning in 2023. Like They have pushed their chips in the middle of the table with how they've used the transfer portal. And, and the fact they didn't go after anyone in this first stretch of the portal at wide receiver, I think indicates that Winston Wright is some of their confident will be a useful player to them this year. When they lost money yeah, they, and they didn't search for anyone else, I think that was telling. They also – there was a slight window there at the end of the season where he probably could have potentially returned and played, not at a high level most likely, but still played. Yeah. And I don't think that thought ever crossed the staff's mind. They wanted to have a good version, a healthy version, a year-removed version of himself available. So I think, again, they are buying on the young man. Renegade Noel will wrap up Byer Sinone with this well, two-part question. So first one, Byer Sinone, Jaheim Singletary will be added to the DB room, Sinone. Sinone. He didn't sign anywhere, right? I don't think so. He's probably a spring guy. Um, yeah, I don't – or I guess summer. Um, but I don't think uh, FSU's involved there. I mean, I think if they were, they would have tried to sign him. Uh, heading Like, they want to get most of their guys in um, For the spring. spring ball. Right. They probably could have, like, based on the window of when he entered, like they really yeah. pushed and they didn't kick. Not saying that it's 100% like wouldn't happen, but uh, if they wanted to, I think they could have. Yeah, maybe he, ha- he has some deal where he's trying to, you know, get through this semester and maybe that's like a graduation. I, I have no idea. But 
Um, I don't know his specific situation, but I don't think Florida State's going to be involved, even if he, you know, extends his decision all the way until May or June. And by or Sinone, will Travis J play meaningful snaps this year? I will Sinone it. Yeah, I'll Sinone that too. Sinone it, but prove me wrong. Uh, maybe he becomes a special teams guy, you know, the Brendan Gant arc. Mm-hmm. Maybe that happens with him. The athleticism is there. The ability to be physical is there. It makes sense. Uh, we, we've noted previously that we felt like the buy-in from him, or at least I felt like the buy-in from him on the back half of last season in practices was noticeably different. Um, but again, ball game, they got real thin at defensive back. He was available to play in that game because the situation of the fall had ended for him. And they still didn't go to him. So I think that speaks to where he is in their pecking order at this time. I think we want to thank Colin Turner and the Turner group for helping make by or Sinone possible. A couple more questions, fellas, and we'll wrap this up. Wicked Grouper asks, can you bench more than Josh Storms? Um, no. Also known um, that. I wonder if I could bench Josh Storms the person. He's what, like probably 240, 230? Yeah, He's I probably could that man does 100-yard lunges, I'm pretty sure, like every day, religiously. And I'm amazed by that because I do one day of lunges and I don't feel like I can walk for two days. Yeah, I do 10 feet of lunges and it hurts. Guys, I had to rake up leaves over the weekend and I can barely walk. I can barely walk most of the time. Anyways. Now we are old and out of shape. Even you, Zach. Congrats. <laughs> Rub it off on you. Uh, Chris K954. Shout out 954 before Zach does. How would you rank the freshman offense alignment from the 2022 class in terms of most ready to play to least ready to play? I think it's a good question to kind of judge on, on where they were after the first year of who, like if they had to get in, who would be the most ready? Armella, Early, Charlton. Sap. Sap. Richardson. Richardson. So far that order works for me. Yeah, yeah. that's a good order. I, I do think that anybody? I do think that just the fan base, uh, Jalen Early is someone that like, if you want to be optimistic and and throw the uh, the over optimism engines into full gear, like I'm I'm cool with that on him. I'm fine with him being a, a hyped guy this off season. I think he's really got quick feet. Uh, once he gets the footwork and like the actual technique down, uh, he he might be the most talented of that group. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're fine, he came with in with some. Line. That's good. He came in with some bad weight, and I believe he shed that last year. I think that was a big part of the process for him last year. Yeah, and you can tell he's someone that Atkins likes a lot because of just how much they push him in practice. Yes, definitely. They think highly of him for sure. Uh, J-Rod31, what are your thoughts on Sagamore Rye cask strength? I have not had the cask strength version of it, but I've had multiple Sagamore Rye spirit uh, offerings. It's a Maryland-based rye or Maryland-style rye, and everything they've had of, of theirs is, is good. So glad so, you turned this into a bourbon show. Thank you. He's got to get his fix. Where do we rank LeBron, guys? That's why NYC no ninety two wants to know. Go, sorry, old heads. He's a go. Yeah, if I'm if I'm forty years old or fifty years old, I'm saying he's a whiny baby. If I'm thirty years old or younger, I'm saying he's the goat. I, I think that's probably where the the line of delineation is on that. Let's go, Chris. I think Tell for me, it's always going to be Jordan. But uh, I will yeah. say the most impressive thing to me about LeBron, and I actually, I think I saw Devin Travis tweet this this morning. Who on earth has ever had so much put on him as a 17-year-old and 21 years later, he lived up lived to every up single the bit of it. Yeah. His yeah. biggest I mean, his biggest incredible. controversy of his career was the decision. Yeah. Like that's like like that's literally the thing that people when they think about oh snafus or decisions, shout out Dan for the word snafu, the uh things that he's done that are negative, it was how he handled Oh, that was my favorite moment growing up. From South Florida, I listened so to that sure. live on the radio, I remember was so hyped i'm not a braun hater i'm i'm not a braun fan either um and i am damn near 40 thank you brendan but uh i i mean i think it's incredible what he's done but i do i do think with scoring records and all of that historically in all sports they have to be taken within the time of when they were done Leagues are different. You know, guys we're talking about 40 years ago didn't have a three-point line, for example. And, you know, just the way it's done, it's different. But LeBron's been unbelievable, done it for 21 years, and I ain't taken a bit of it away from him. I think He's about, great. like, the best guys. Like, if you take Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. 
Bird's issue was his back, shortened his career. But I mean, Bird's great years were unbelievable. Uh, I, a, I am from a family of Boston people, though, so you know I'm a little. And, and LeBron, I'm throwing him in there too. So those are guys young, early on, informative years, or a little bit before even. Um, uh, for me personally, and then obviously like seeing guys in their prime, like all four of those guys, you can throw into different eras of basketball and feel confident they would figure it out. Like they would, they would have adapted. Like if you had Larry Bird say the three-point line, which I guess he had, but he didn't shoot a ton. But if you put him into like the value of like what three-point shooting is now, he would have been great. Magic Johnson in the space that they're allowed to play in now like would have been great. And anyways, this is not an NBA podcast. This is an FSU football one. LeBron James' favorite college was? Ohio State. Yeah, but he also would have gone to FSU to play wide receiver. He's talked about that. It's a thing. We've really trailed off here at the end of the podcast. Whose idea was it to do a mailbag? I think it was you. Mailbag! All right, for Zach Blostein, Chris D, I'm Brendan Sedona. This has been On the Bench. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later this week. Peace.